Hi, this is Connor from Fireside Church. Thank you for listening to Fireside Church messages. If you want to learn more about our church or what we're doing during this time to stay connected, visit our website, firesidechurch.org. Enjoy the message. Morning, Fireside. I'm so excited to be sharing with you this morning. Um, Big thanks to Andy and Kate for giving me this opportunity. And thank you to everyone who's <clears throat> been praying with me and giving me encouragement. And yeah, just thank you for everybody who's watching or listening this morning. I really feel like um, God has given me a word for our church right now um, that's really relevant for us <clears throat> as Fireside, but also as individuals. So I just ask that you would be kind of considering and and praying the things that we're talking about today, that you would bring it into your prayer time through the week, be considering these things, that it's not just information we're hearing right now, but this can help us connect to God um, in a personal way, so that we can connect with him corporately, but also personally. Um, So with that being said, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll jump into things. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, God, I just thank you for who you are. You are holy, God. There's no one like you. You're the only one who can satisfy us. You're the only one who can fulfill us. You're the only one who's given us life, God. There's no wisdom like your wisdom. There's no goodness like your goodness, God. There's no love like your love. So we just come to you, God, desperate for your word, desperate for your understanding, desperate for your guidance, God. I pray that you would come right in the middle of our situations, God. Come right in the middle of our lives and direct us, God. Give us the comfort we need for those who need comfort. Give us the conviction we need for those who need conviction. I pray that you would speak through me right now. We love you. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's get started. So today I'm going to be speaking out of the book of Joshua. And if you're like me, the Old Testament can be a lot more intimidating than the New Testament. And even the New Testament can be intimidating when we (laughs) approach the Bible. We're approaching this monstrous book that's a bunch of different books and they're all written from different authors and in different continents at different periods of time and it can be really hard to make sense of what's going on and how does this relate to me. So I'm going to give us a little bit of background first to to help all of us, help myself included. So the book of Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible. It comes after the first five books which are called the Torah and Joshua is about the story of Joshua who was one of the leaders of Israel. He led Israel uh, after Moses. So you might be familiar with Moses if you're not familiar with Joshua. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. He was going to bring them to the promised land. God said he would bring them to the promised land. So they were in the wilderness and then they got to the promised land, but Moses disobeyed God. So he couldn't go into the promised land. So they camped outside of the promised land. Eventually, Moses passes away, and Joshua steps onto the scene, the book of Joshua. So Joshua tells the story of 
Joshua leading the Israelites. And they're going to go into the promised land. But the Canaanites are in the promised land. And the Canaanites are worshiping these false gods. And they're, they're really corrupt. And they're just doing all these horrendous acts. They're, they're sacrificing children and, and doing all these horrible things. And so God says for them to come in and, and conquer the Canaanites to take the land of Canaan and claim it as their promised land. So that happens throughout the book of Joshua. We follow this story of, of them doing this. And I encourage you to read it on your own. But today we're going to be in the final chapter, Joshua 24. And they're about to go in and, and live in the promised land. This has, we've been waiting for this moment in, in the Bible leading up, you know, They've been talking about the promised land forever and they're, they're finally going in and Joshua is dividing up the land between the different tribes and then he addresses all of Israel and he's giving them this, these encouragements and these warnings as they prepare to, to go in. Um, we're in a really cool season with Fireside right now. There's been a lot of talk of revival. Revival's coming and we've been feeling it since the beginning with Fireside that God's doing something special with our church and we're going to be a part of revival. And there's been people in our church with prophetic words saying we need to prepare for, you know, this time of revival that's coming and that revival is around the corner. And I think right now we need some encouragement and maybe even some warning to just really be dedicated to God in this time, to, to be prepared for what's ahead of us. So, we're going to be in verse 14 to start Joshua 24, 14. It says, Therefore, now if you've listened to Andy preach at all, we have to stop there, because when you see a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? I'm stealing that from Andy. I don't feel bad, because he stole it from someone else. So, what happens before this is Joshua is retelling all of the amazing things that God has done for them. He's recounting God's faithfulness. It's like, remember when God saw us through in this way? Remember God saw us through in that way? Re remember this story. Remember what God has done. Our God is faithful. And then verse 14. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped. Beyond the Euphrates River, and in Egypt, and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today. Which will you worship? The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Which will you worship? I just thought that was such a powerful question. The gods of, that your ancestors worshipped? Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living? The Amorites are, were a certain part of Canaan. So when you hear Amorites, you can think Canaanites. Who are you going to worship? As for me, I'll worship the Lord. So we're talking about this idea of worshiping these, these other gods. And this can be confusing to think about because, you know, we don't live in this pagan culture and, 
it, it doesn't look like that. There's not, you know, these people worshiping these other gods. So, you know, what is this all about? And what Joshua is touching on right now is this theme in the Bible of idolatry, of worshiping other gods, worshiping false gods, false idols. And this is a theme that carries throughout the whole Bible. We see it countless times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. If you've been reading the reading plan with us, you've seen places where uh, they're listing all these different sins and idolatry is almost always at the top of the list. So what is idolatry? What does that mean? Are they just saying, you know, don't go worship Zeus? Don't go worship, you know, the, the God of Moab? That doesn't really mean anything to us today. Of course, we're not going to go worship those gods. Um, so how people oftentimes explain idolatry is that idolatry is just, you know, worshiping an idol. And an idol is anything you place in front of God, anything you put before God. We're supposed to, you know, love God first and live for God first. So anything else we're putting in front of God, that's an idol. And I think that's a really helpful definition, but I think it only gets at a piece of what idolatry is all about. So to learn more, we kind of got to look at what idolatry really is in the biblical context. So to understand this, we have to understand that during this time, there were all these different nations and they had these kings who most of them claimed to be God or an image of another God, a representative of God. They thought they were God and they were the ones who were deciding what was right and what was wrong. They were influenced by the enemy by the demonic forces of evil and they were determining what was right and what was wrong and they they worshiped these gods of of money and sex and power and violence and they weren't worshiping the true god and these kings were really corrupt and they were doing a lot of really bad things, not only oppressing the people, but even calling for these really horrible acts in the names of worship, specifically with the Canaanites. They were known for these really, really hor horrible, sexually immoral acts as a form of worship. And even, they would even worship with child sacrifice worshiping children in the name of God. So these were the kind of things, these were the kind of things that these kings were asking for. They were, they were telling people to do. And in order to worship these gods, the people would make idols. They would build these statues or objects that would represent the gods. And the word idol can also be translated image of God. And so they were these images of God, these idols, that represented God and they would worship them through these different practices uh, in order to, to gain favor in their eyes. And so you might be thinking the image of God, that sounds familiar. And it should because if we go back to Genesis 1, we're going to hear the phrase image of God. But not really talking about idolatry. So in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. 
He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. We're made in the image of God. We are the image of God. We are the ones who show his glory. We reflect the character of God. This is the plan. So this is an important distinction. In these other nations, the kings thought of themselves as God, and they were building these, making these idols to worship God and dishonoring people and dishonoring God in the process. But with Judaism, with the Israelites, with the one true God, our God, people are the images of God. There's one God that we're worshiping, and the people are the images of God. Now, I mentioned how one of the big problems here is that these kings were deciding what was right and wrong by their own wisdom. They were making up the rules. They were making up the morality. And the results were horrific. The, the sex and violence and just corruption of power and money, it, it, was, it was horrible. It was awful. And, and this is the result of, of the enemy's hand in this, leading them astray, pushing them away from God. We can also trace this back to the beginning of the Bible. So God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates man and woman in his image. He places them in the garden of Eden. And he has all these trees and uh, plants for them to eat from. And, and he says they can eat from anything except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then the serpent comes in. The serpent starts questioning Eve. This is in chapter three. And he starts, you know, prodding Eve. Did God, did God really say that? Did God really say you couldn't eat from that? Starts kind of trying to get Eve to think for herself, to, to rethink what, what God told her. And then he says this, pay attention to this in verse five. He says, in fact, God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's telling Eve, you can be like God. You can be the one with the power. You can be the one with the wisdom. And then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. This is important. All of a sudden, she's looking at it and saying, you know what, it does look good does look delightful. It does look pleasing. This is what the enemy does. God tells us one thing and the enemy tries to get us to think by our own wisdom. And all of a sudden we're going, you know what, that, that looks pretty okay. I think that's, I think that's actually pretty good. That, that looks pretty fun. That looks pretty, uh, that looks pretty good. I, I feel like that's going to be good for me. That, that looks great. And he falls into the trap and this is what the enemy does. He pushes us away from the wisdom of God and tries to get us to rely on our own wisdom. It's what he does with Eve. It's what he does with Cain and Abel. It's what he does with these nations, these kings, these gods. And it's what he's doing today. So hopefully this can help frame our understanding of idolatry. 
that yes, an idol is something we put before God, but it, it's not just on a personal level that the enemy is working through the social structures of our world to deceive. He's working through the social structures that we've set up. Now, you know, we don't have these pagan kingdoms, but there's still other structures that the enemy can work through today. There's idolatry, there's a personal level to it, but there's also a national level to it. And beyond that, there's a cosmic level of this is all part of the enemy's plan. So let's just start to think about what kind of ways is the enemy trying to bring about his plan? What ways is the enemy trying to bring about rebellion in our world today? How is he using the social structures and media and politics and entertainment? How is he using these things to steer us away from God? In what ways is our culture kind of creating these shrines, these gods of money and sex and power and violence? In what ways are we being tricked by these ideologies that are founded on the wisdom of man, not on the wisdom of God? In what ways are these things influencing us? And I'm not trying to say that, you know, everything in the world is bad and all this stuff, but we can't let these things go unexamined. And if we're passive, we're going to end up being influenced by what the world is doing. If we just kind of follow in line with what's normal, what's going on, we're going to end up being led astray. When Joshua says this to the Israelites, when he poses this question, which will you worship? The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? In verse 16, it says, the people replied, we will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. I'm not going to leave God. Joshua, you're telling us all this stuff about his faithfulness. We know. We know God was faithful. We love God. We're worshiping God. We're not going to go worship, you know, these other gods. Don't worry about it. This is in chapter 24 of Joshua, which is the last chapter of Joshua. The next book is Judges. By Judges chapter 2, the Israelites have already fallen away. They're already worshiping other gods. And if you keep reading through the Old Testament, they worship all these different gods. They fall away again and again. And sometimes it's they completely fall away. They abandon God altogether and go worship these other gods. But other times, they're still worshiping God. They're still going to the temple. They're still offering sacrifices to God. But on the side, they're worshiping these idols. They're associating with the other nations and and they're, they're worshiping their gods a little bit. They're engaging in their worship a little bit. They're getting influenced by their ideas. They look over and they say, you know what? That does look good. Maybe that is right. Looks, looks pretty good. Looks like that's going to be a, a good thing for me. You know, may, maybe I will be more fulfilled by adding a little bit of that in. I think that's 
those are the real dangers for us. You know, yeah, we, uh, I, I believe in God and, and I'm a Christian and I go to church. It's great, but who are we worshiping? Are we worshiping God? Are we living a life for God? Are we making decisions? Are we planning our, our lives based on what we know about God or based on what the world does, based on what the world says we should do, based on these other influences? What are we listening to more? Are we listening more to, to God's narrative of the world, of what he says is important, of what he says is right and wrong, of what he says is the purpose of life? Are we buying into the world's ideas? You know, this idea of the, the American dream and consumerism where it becomes all about you being happy and, and getting more things and the bigger house and the better car and, and your status and, and where you are in the social structure and, and kind of chasing money and, and chasing power, even just chasing happiness. I think we think like, what, you know, what's wrong with being happy, right? And there's nothing wrong with being happy, but happiness isn't supposed to be the pursuit, right? Happiness can't be the main thing we're chasing. Because when it's all about just, yeah, whatever makes you happy, there's someone else who's suffering on the other side. And God's offering a, a, a different way than that. So what are we living out? And what are we listening to? What are we being more influenced by? You know, how often can we, can we say that we've seen the newest show on Netflix or or we're up to date on the newest news that we heard on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or whatever, you know, we listen to. And, you know, or we're up to date on the latest celebrity drama or we're, we're up to date on the latest trends on Instagram. But we can't answer the question, what is God speaking to you right now? Are we listening? We can say we're a Christian, but... What are we really living for? Is our goal to just be happy and successful? And, or are we asking God what he wants us to live for? And I don't want to undermine success or happiness. Those things are good, but what is the goal? And where are we getting our goals from? Are we just going along passively with what the world's doing? I think it's so profound how Joshua brings up the gods of their ancestors and the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. We're living in America. And what are the gods of our land? Sure, they're not you know, gods in the same way that they had gods, but we still have these ideologies, these social structures that the enemy is influencing. And is our allegiance more to them or to God? 
you know, are we going along with just what the world is saying or are we really listening to God? This can even show up in politics, you know. And I know I'm walking into uncomfortable territory here, but is our allegiance more to the left or to the right? Or is it to God? And I'm not just talking, trying to, you know, talk about one political party or the other. It's both. It's both. Neither the left or the right perfectly line up with God's way. And some of you might be sitting there and and thinking, well, like, well, I feel like this way really does. And to that I say, well, there's someone else who is a Christian who loves God just as much as you, if not more. And they would say the same about the other side. So what's really going on here? I think it's so easy to just to, to just fall into kind of all these ideologies and all these different things. And we just kind of go with the wind. But are we really asking God, God, what do you say about all this? What do you say? We're in such a difficult time right now for so many reasons. And, you know, we look at what's going on in some of the people in our church's lives, all, all, all the things happening to them. And it's like, God, what do we do in this? We look at, you know, just the, the climate in our country right now with coronavirus and all the different information going around and, and the race issues. And it's so paralyzing. We just feel like, man, what am I supposed to do about this? And I don't know what's right and what's wrong and what's left and what's right. And it's just easy to just try to pick something and and go along with it. But it's those times that we have to really stop and just cry out to God. God, what are you saying? God, I'm not moving unless you speak. God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What does your will look like in this? Are we really asking God or are we just going along? I'm challenged by this. Who am I living for? What am I living for? At the beginning of this verse, it says, Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Worship God with sincerity and truth. We're supposed to live a life of worship. We're supposed to glorify God with our life. A couple of years ago, I preached a sermon about worship and we talked about how worship is response. We all worship things. When you eat a good meal, you talk about how good it is. That's worship. Worship is simply a response. So if we're called to worship God with our lives, the question is, What are we worshiping with our lives? What is our life a response to? What is a response to who God is look like? What does it mean to to live your life as a response to God's goodness, as a response to God's love, as a response to God's mercy? What does it look like to spend our time and and spend our money and make our decisions in response to 
who God is in response to the fact that our God became man and took on our suffering on the cross to build a bridge to give us resurrection life so that we could be reunited with God, even though we're the reason for our separation from him, that he built the bridge back, that we can have communion with God, we can have unity with God, and God is totally good and he's totally love, and we can have this perfect unity with him, and he has this plan that he set out before, this cosmic plan that he's carrying out. And he set aside a certain role for us in that plan. What does it look like to live in response to that? Does our life look like a response to what we say we believe about God? Because that's what a testimony is, right? A testimony is your life looks like a response to what you say you believe. You know, if you, if you heard someone saying they, they believed in something and then it didn't look like their life had changed at all because of it, you'd be questioning if they really believed it. Do we really believe in God? With the coronavirus stuff, if someone was telling you how they're so worried about coronavirus and, and this is, this is going to be the, you know, this, this horrible plague to end, end the world and, and they're so afraid of getting it and they're afraid they're going to die and all these things. And then they were just going out and acting like nothing was going on. You'd be like, you don't believe that? Does our life look like a response? What? Are we responding to? Are we just responding to what the world's saying? Are we just responding to what we're watching on Netflix? And are we just kind of falling into this normal life? Or are we living a life that's radical? I think we have to ask these questions. Can't let it go unexamined. As I said, we're, we're heading towards this revival. We've been talking about this revival, and we love talking about the revival out there, right? We love imagining all these people coming to Christ, and it's awesome. But what about the revival in here? Sometimes in order for the revival out there to happen, we need to have a revival in here. I want us to turn over some idols in our heart. We need to turn toward him in a new way. If we really want all these people to turn to Christ, we need to really ask, am I really living for God? Or am I just being influenced by other things? Is it just other things that are? thing is when we start really worshiping for worshiping God and living a life in response to him God does incredible things through it because God's way is the best way his wisdom is better than ours he created the world he's God he's in control his idea of good and evil is right and when we submit to that we're going to live the best life. We're going to live life to the full. We're going to have that eternal life in the here and now. 
and God's going to carry out his work. and He's going to bring his kingdom. And we're just going to get to watch what God does. When people worship him, watch what God does. It's been so amazing to just watch what God is doing in our community. You know, I saw this picture from Andy Klaus's Andy and Tracy Klaus's fireside table and there's all these families and, and different ages and they were, they were just sitting around in the yard and worshiping God and, and just hearing the stories of how God is speaking to people and moving in people's lives and, and people in our community are providing needs for each other. It's just amazing. And when we worship God, we just get to watch what he does. So I just want to leave us with this question. Which will you worship? The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would reveal to us who we're worshiping with our lives. Pray that you would speak to us. Pray that you would come and be with us, God. I pray that we would be able to see who you are when we read your word, and when we gather, and when we pray, and when we listen when we come together in community that we would see you in each other that we would encounter you so that we might live in response to who you are God thank you for your word thank you for your forgiveness thank you that you are perfect thank you for your wisdom God I just pray that you would stir up questions in, in all of us as we go through our day-to-day. -day. That we would be challenged. That we would be challenged to ask, who am I living for? What am I living in response to? In Jesus' name.